Warning, Extra Credits contains course spoilers. It also contains some opinions and some facts, and there may even be some opinions parading as facts or vice versa. Sometimes we get distracted and talk about movies and music and pop culture as much as two 40 year olds and a 30 year old can, can, can talk about pop culture. I can't remember the last time I enjoyed listening to music on the radio, but that's a whole different thing. If you never come to class and don't read the text, we need to give away the ending for you. <laughs> the butler did it. Well, you've been warned and now extra credits. Okay, here comes the starting sequence. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, start. Oh, wait, that's the wrong opener. Infinite lives, we did it! <laughs> uh, if you get that reference, you need to tell us somehow. Yeah? Someone has to tell us. Good. Yep. Excellent. Excellent cheat code. Bradley. Uh, well, you know what? Hello and welcome to the first year financial accounting podcast you never knew you wanted or needed. Extra credits. I'm Mike. I'm Josh. And I'm Brad. And we hope this pod is an asset to you. What type of an asset would it be? I mean, last time we talked about classified balance sheets. Um, you know, if you're just studying for a quiz, I guess it would be a current asset. If you stumble upon it later on in your accounting career and it helps you then, maybe a long-term investment. Or if our information is useless after five years on a straight line basis, maybe property, plant, and equipment. Or you might think there's actually nothing of value here that we can put our finger on and might be intangible then. I don't know. <laughs> that was the best I could do. I love it out of my hat. I love that definition of an intangible asset is just we think there's some value here, but we don't know what it is exactly. So we have an asset. Exactly. How do you quantify these things? Actually, you know what? Let's not answer that question. That's, that's a whole pod. I know. Yeah. Historical cost. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay. So, hey, drop day is approaching. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys if you have ever dropped a class. I originally, my original question was, have you ever failed a class? And I don't want to embarrass anyone in front of their students. Um, I am brutally honest with my students. And so they know all of my deep, dark university secrets. But have either of you ever dropped a class? I have not actually dropped a class, but I do have a story about wishing that a class had been dropped. Okay. Um, and it's it's coming from my wife who, who loves to talk about one course that she took near the beginning of her education that she should have dropped and didn't. Uh, basically so this isn't even just, a you story? This is a, this is a your wife story? <clears throat> yep. Okay. Yep. She start, started a course and stopped going and uh -oh. just never showed up to finish it and yeah. never realized that you either could drop a class or should drop a class. Mm. And that like 21% or whatever it was that she got on it followed her GPA for basically her entire university that career. That will absolutely grind your GPA into the ground. Yeah. So Similar she's story for me with, she had dropped. with parenting classes. Um, I just stopped going and uh, my kids seemed fine. <laughs> I don't know. You ground your parenting GPA. That was it. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to get out with a C plus. I mean, C's get degrees, right? So I was trying to get out with the C plus average out of parenting um, class and, and it, it was all right. It was all right. Uh, how about you, Josh? Ever drop a class? No. And I wanted to let Brad go first because I was hoping he had because I, I 
I, I wasn't sure what's typical, like if, if people often do enroll and then drop or, or what, but no, I've never dropped a class. And I think it's because um, when I was doing my bachelor degree, I used to like meticulously plan out what courses I was going to take where like I would be in second year and I had it like sort of mapped out what I was going to take in each semester of third and fourth year. Mm. So like I, when I was in those courses, I was in those courses. You, you had to, otherwise it would throw yeah. the rest of your it, schedule off, right? It was not changing. And though Josh not, not everybody's like that. Though Josh called it a, a bachelor's degree, uh, none of the three of us actually got a bachelor's degree because we were all with our now wives while we were in school, and so not therefore bachelors. I don't, yeah. Is that a, not, a bad joke? Not married, so technically bachelors, I think. So I, uh, I've dropped a class, and uh, this is a big one, guys. It was an accounting class. Ooh. What? What? Uh, so uh, I ended up getting a, a sinus infection while I was taking what is our equivalent of tax two. Uh, and I really, really, really wanted to do well on it. And, uh, and so yeah, I, I, I dropped the uh, dropped the class, even though my professor was like, stay in the class, you're going to be fine. But uh, I had a full time business at the time, I was taking uh, four classes, which at SFU at the time was was a full load. And uh, yeah, I needed to drop something. And that was the one that I wanted to do the best on and wanted to focus on the most. And so, yeah, I dropped it after it was about three weeks in, uh, two weeks in. It was before uh, it was a withdrawal. So it was a drop and it didn't even go on my, my transcript. Um, and, then, and then regretted it because I, I felt better. Um, and I figured, oh, I probably could have. But it was so important to me to do well on it that I was just like, you know what? And I don't think there's any shame in... Uh, in, in dropping classes. And, and like we talk about in class, uh, our beloved learners, uh, failure is an event. It's not a person, right? You're not a failure, but we all have failures every day. This is why I make so many mistakes on purpose in class. When I make all those mistakes, totally doing it on purpose. To you, to no, you I've, I've been wanting to do that, not necessarily in 111, but I've really been wanting to do it in one class to see if a class would catch it. But I don't know if I have that kind of clout built up yet where mm. I could actually do that and pass it off as like, oh, I meant to do that. Also, here's the thing. If you build it into your class and then that happens to be the class where the dean comes to visit, right? So you got to be careful about that. You just never know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it is fun. I, I do that in fourth year from time to time. Uh, the challenge with doing that with an online class is let's say I say something that's patently wrong and someone writes down notes and then they get kicked off the Zoom call. I've got no way of being like, just kidding, because they're gone, right? So you got to be careful about that kind of stuff. So yeah. as we're I, approaching uh, drop day, take a look at your calendar. And uh, if you have classes, if you're feeling overwhelmed, I think all of us are feeling various degrees of overwhelm in this this environment that we're in right now. So certainly don't feel bad about it. Um, if you can come back stronger, fresher, then there's no no shame in that. Josh, you were going to say? I wanted to add two quick things. Yep. You asked you asked if we had ever failed a course. And no, I've not failed a course. But my horror story of like one of the worst grades I ever had mm. was in uh, a course called BUAD 272 Business Simulation. So oh. Just a warning that when you do get to that point of your studies, like take it seriously, because uh, I definitely didn't to the degree that I should have. And it was brutal. And look, if you guys want to know what Josh's GPA was, he was a student at OC and we actually have access to his transcript. <laughs> so 
But you have to go I don't find. I know what kind of bribes we're going to be taking here. I, I did have a bunch of my 461 students um, asked if it was um, if they thought it would be a good idea for them to pay Elena to take their exam for them. And uh, <laughs> again, no, we, we shouldn't be paying other pros to take our exam, people. Ha <laughs> ha. See, in fourth year, you can joke about that kind of stuff, guys. Uh, interesting. Oh, so two biz sim, huh? Yeah, that's yeah. wild. Yeah. Um, I, I I did. I so I did fail one class. It was uh, ironically logic. I was doing uh, philosophy, and I had a professor that I strongly disagreed with, and I thought that the best way to get him back was to show up at the final exam, and sit in the desk with the paper in front of me with my arms crossed and just stare at him for the entire exam without actually writing the exam and then hand in a blank exam. And I was like, that shows you to treat me that way. And do you know who took the brunt of that? Yeah, it was me. Cause I yeah. got a zero for the final and it was like a 70% final exam. So were you 14 years old? That's like the most angsty thing I've ever heard. I was pretty emo back in the day. Uh, you know what? I'll share pictures so uh, you, guys can, you guys can see. And then I went through my frosted tips phase after that, and that was more of a it's more of an uplifting. Uh, I'm still waiting to see the picture of the frosted tips. All I can do is picture Backstreet Boys when I think of frosted tips. So the thing is, Brad, you knew uh, you knew my wife back actually before her and I met, um, yep. and so you're going to see that picture and just be like, him, really, <laughs> right? Like it's. I ask, I, I, I genuinely have asked her a number of times. I'm like, I, I want to know for real, what was it? Uh, and, and she said, she said, look, like, I feel like, uh, I feel like you really had a ton of potential. You know, you you made me laugh and you had a ton of potential. And I'm like, how about now? She said, like, yeah, you still have a lot of potential. <laughs> I was going to say, Brad, Brad knew your wife back in the day. Were they like really good friends and talked on the phone for three hours? Every three day? hours a night. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> They actually, uh, they actually, uh, what spent a week at a, at a cabin with a, a, a mutual friend's parents. Yep. So, yeah, I, I was friends with, well, a guy named Nathan and, and um, yep. your wife was friends with Nathan's sister. Um, yep. so, yep. Yeah. And I think that came up because Brad was like, you were in my office, I think. And you were like, is that, and he, he said my, my wife's name. And, uh, and I was like, no, it's just a random woman that I'm hugging in a massive picture in my office. Right? Like, of course, that's my wife. How inappropriate would that be? Right. Anyhow. And uh, yeah, he's like, I think I know her. And, um, and, you know, you have that just minor panic attack where you're just like, oh, uh, anyhow. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's cool. So, and uh, yeah, Roz was like, I think I, I think I drew on his head with a Sharpie. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> that sounds about it's, right. It's nice that you guys have a history. That's lovely. <laughs> um, yeah. And oddly enough, there was a time in my life when I had hair, but it was a, a small period in high school. It was not when I was young and it's not now. Um, there, there's one picture that I have where I actually have hair. And like I, a full head not, of hair. Not many. Yeah. 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 yeah mine's thinning too. I guess I got to start working out. Oh, well. I'm trying to chip into the banter too. I'm just, I'm thinking of Homer on the Simpsons after he takes that hair growth formula, oh. running down the street with his hair blowing in the wind. That's Brad back in this one picture. <laughs> oh man, hey, we've, we got benefits now. You can get plugs. <laughs> just anything's possible. Anything is possible. 
I just, I'll, I'll, I just, I'm done. I just I'm a hat guy. That's it. I just start wearing hats. I like hats. <laughs> it's good stuff. Uh, okay, so that was it. We talked about drops. We talked about fails. Um, time for a topic rundown. First of all, uh, what's a merchandiser and how is it different from what we've seen so far? So we've looked at service companies so far, right? So companies that do things. Now we're looking at merchandisers, which is a huge word. What does that mean? They're like the middleman, you know, they, they buy something from someone else, then they sell it to you. So if, if you could, you'd love to cut them out, but sometimes they give you access to products that you could never get otherwise. That is that like us? Right? <laughs> Where we stand between our students and their degree. We're kind of the, the middle person there. Yeah, no. the, the educational middleman. So, so what you're saying is that the other companies did stuff and these companies sell stuff. Yeah. But they don't yeah. sell stuff that they built. Is that right? That's right. What do we call companies that sell things that they built? I think that's a manufacturing company. Manufacturers. Okay. So we've got service companies, which are so simple, right? Revenue minus expenses. Then we've got merchandisers, which sell things that other people built, which means a manufacturing company, their customer would be the merchandiser. And then their customer would be, we would think at least the end user. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, depends, so would this be like, uh, depends. like a Best Buy or a, a Walmart or something like that? Are they merchandisers? I think so. Unless Best Buy has some manufacturing operation, I just don't know about. Well, a lot of these companies have uh, house brands, but they, you know, they white label products that come in, right? So they're not actually manufacturing. If there's a Best Buy brand cable or something, they're not manufacturing. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything to add to that, Brad? Uh, I was just going to say another, another term for it that's maybe more recognizable is, is a retail uh, like a retailer. So if you think of any any retail store that you know of, um, you know, that's a store that is buying inventory from somebody and selling it, um, making it available to their customers. So what you're saying is when I worked at Randy River and we sold those shank jeans that had the 30 inch uh, leg holes in them, that Randy <laughs> River did not make those jeans. Those were made by another company. And then uh, we sold them on with uh, the wallets that have the chains on them. <laughs> good stuff. I miss baggy sure. jeans. <laughs> those, I remember those jeans. Those jeans Straight with legs. pockets that were so, so big, you could, you know, like put whatever you wanted in them because they filled up your like entire a baby leg. kangaroo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're dating uh, ourselves again. We are. We, we are. We are dating ourselves again, but that's okay. You know, it, at some point, uh, getting old uh, d- does get a, a, a bit sweeter. Uh, there's there's an inflection point, right? We must be close to it. Uh, we're not quite at um, buy a sad convertible Corvette yet, right? <laughs> Almost. But Almost. Uh, okay, so I got a question then. Why do things like delivery get included in cost of goods sold? So we're buying things and we're selling them again. Why wouldn't we just use the price of the thing and then say, you know, freight in expense or something like that? If we're paying to have these things shipped to us, why do we include that in inventory and then eventually through inventory cost of goods sold? I, I always think of it as, you know, our, well, first of the term is the cost of goods sold. It's how much did it cost us mm. to acquire this thing that we're now selling? Not and inventory so, expense. 
Not exactly. Not because you got supplies yeah. and supplies expense, right? This it's yeah. not just you're taking the inventory and, and washing. Although that is already in the cost of the inventory, but yeah, well, that's a yeah. good point. So, cost of the goods sold. Okay. So so we have the cost of actually acquiring that good. So if, mm. if we're buying something that costs a hundred dollars, but we also have the cost of getting that thing to our store, and so if if we're paying for shipping to get that thing delivered to us, that the shipping is part of the cost of that good to us. And I suppose if we're not paying for ship, so if the the manufacturer is paying to ship it to us, they would embed that cost in our cost anyway, right? So in a roundabout way, we're kind of paying for shipping either way. Like when you get, you know, if you pay buy more than fifty dollars, you get free shipping online. They take that cost and they build it into the the cost of the product, right? Yeah. And so you know, if you built your merchandiser right next to a manufacturer, then your cost of goods sold might be lower because it would be quicker to get the, the actual product, the inventory into your stores. But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, anything to add there? Well, just a, a local story kind of on that yeah. note. Um, if anybody's familiar with the company that was sold off, I think last year called OK Builder Supplies, hmm. they uh, they had a really nice supply chain because there's that railroad that was running through downtown Kelowna. Yep. It would literally just drop goods off at their location there. And uh, so, you know, freight costs were, there wasn't a lot of like other costs of, you know, trucking it or, mm. or other ways of moving it. It was just take it off the truck right there or off the train right there. So cool. um, just made me think of that when you said, you know, setting up right beside a manufacturer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's sort of two ways to think about it, setting up close to your manufacturer or setting up close to your, to your customer, right? Which, you know, if your customer is willing to travel a bit uh, to get to you, then having a central hub that's easier for shipping does make a lot of sense. Okay, okay, so now we've got our cost of goods sold, which is a new expense for us. And it's it's the first expense that we've seen, I think, that doesn't have the word expense in it. <laughs> so that's gonna, you know, gonna take some getting used to. And also, I don't know if you guys get lazy and call it COGS, uh, C-O-G-S, but I do that all the time, especially when I'm trying to write on the tiny screen whiteboards that we've got now, instead of cost of goods sold, is it COGS, yeah, so. Yeah, that's the first thing. Well, well, my class is covering chapter five starting tomorrow. Yes. The first thing I'm going to say is cost of goods sold equals COGS. Yep. And I'm never saying cost of goods sold again. It's like APAR, accumulated depreciation with the A slash D, right? Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. That, that's funny. I find quite often I say cost of goods sold. I just never write it. Never actually yeah. write it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And we're actually, uh, we're actually introducing some other new expenses as well. Uh, so we're introducing sales returns and allowances, which is all lumped together um, as one, and sales discounts, right? And again, two new expenses that also don't have the word expense in their names. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, maybe we'll start with Josh on this one. Do these returns and allowances things really happen? And if they do, why don't we just toss that all in? Like, why don't we just debit sales? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, why are we breaking these things out? Why would we classify these things? Uh, so yeah, again, do they happen? And why, why are we giving them their own category? Well, I mean, if you have to ask, do they happen? I would ask, have you ever returned anything to a store yourself? And the answer is probably yes. Absolutely. So you're going to see sales returns all the time. Sales allowances, I think, are a little bit less common, but can still happen where, you know, maybe you're you're dissatisfied with the product and you're mad that you paid $50 for it. But if the retailer gives you $10 back, you'd be a little less mad. 
And uh, mm-hmm. they'll sometimes do that for you, depending on where you go. Um, so yeah, those things absolutely do happen. And it's important. I, I mean, we go back to chapter one, when we think about why we're even creating accounting information or financial statements in the first place, right. it's to help us understand what's happened in, in the business and then make decisions, right? And if we track those sales returns and allowances separately, that can be good information for us because if those, you know, if we monitor them from year to year and they start to creep up and get higher, that's an indication that maybe the quality of our products is going down and maybe we need to talk to our supplier, hmm. get them to do better for us. There's lots of things that can that we can do. So just, just more information that we can use to make uh, decisions. It's funny, yeah. as you were saying that, I actually just thought um, we had, uh, I put in uh, Sinlon because we're really trying to be a little bit more water wise and around the side in the back of the house. We just, it was always dumping water on it to keep it, keep it alive, let alone keep it green. Uh, and so I dug it all out and put in Sinlon uh, in the spring. And when it came, one of the packages uh, was, was cut and, and through the actual Sinlon itself. And I was thinking, well, I don't want to ship this thing all the way back. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I called the merchandiser and said, look, I'll send you some pictures. And I did. Uh, and they gave me, um, you know, what I referred to it at the time as a, as a, di- uh, you know, a discount on it, but it really was an allowance. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a great example. I mean, we don't see that very often in our personal lives, mm-hmm. a sales allowance, right? But that's, a, that's exactly what it is, is they mm-hmm. gave you some money back for the portion of it that was damaged. Yeah. No, no, totally makes sense. And, and keeping them separate so that you can take a look and say, I mean, sales discounts is one thing, and we can talk about those too, but sales returns and allowances, that pretty much lines up with our, our product quality, or at least perceived quality, because there are some times where people will make returns, uh, and it's because the product hasn't lived up to their perceived quality expectations. It still does what it's supposed to do, but maybe it doesn't do it as well as, or as quietly as, or as effectively as the customer expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Brian, I- do you mind talking about discounts for a sec? And, and how that might work. So, cause we, we touched on returns and allowances there. Now we've got uh, discounts as well, this new, new section. Yeah, absolutely. So we see um, discounts quite often in the context of um, a, a company trying to manage its accounts receivable and try to create an incentive for customers to pay sooner than they may otherwise do so we have this concept of you know our accounts receivable or our sorry our sales are happening say net 30 mm. meaning we want the the amount to be paid within the next 30 days right but to create an incentive to get you to pay earlier we'll give you a two percent discount if you pay within 10 days uh, and so we, we see that that 2% discount applied. And, and the only way to really tell if it's there is to um, look at the, the date the item was purchased and the date that it was paid for and see if you're falling within that period of time where they've made the early payment to right. qualify for, for a discount. Excellent. Okay. And and that's just because cash now is better than cash later, effectively, right? If we can, if we can quicken that uh, account receivable collection period, it's you know, just makes it better for us to pay off our debts quicker, working capital looks better. And we're going to talk about all that type of stuff in, in 195. So don't forget absolutely everything you've learned in this class, even if you're not going on in accounting. It's funny you said that because I actually wanted to shout out Buad 195 as well, because <laughs> we, we actually talk about whether it's good policy or practice to offer discounts to customers, because 
it costs a lot to offer those discounts. You get the oh, cash faster, yeah. but you're 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 also giving up two percent of your sales price. Yeah, just to get it twenty days faster or something like that. So, now, it, I mean, there's an argument to be said. Do you actually is your full sales price that discount amount, and you're actually charging a surcharge if they if do you know what I mean? Like if you're either right. giving a discount or charging a surcharge, you can look at it flip side. Totally. Um. So, but yeah, no, that 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 does make a lot of sense, and and looking at accounts receivable uh, uh, collection periods, uh, that's something that. Again, you're going to do in, in 195. It's uh, it's ACP. So I was like, do you know with ACP? Yeah. And yeah, it's a whole <laughs> different thing. <laughs> I told you, we're always trying to bring the 90s hip hop in. Hey, quick aside for music. I had a student, uh, I was listening to some chronics. I don't know if you guys listen to reggae at all, uh, but great reggae artist. And uh, she was like, if you like chronics, you should listen to coffee, coffee with a K. It's a female, female reggae artist. And I've been listening to a bunch of her stuff and uh, really, really good. Loving uh, how, how, I don't know, it's really clean and really cool. Great beats, uh, good sound. I, I find it hard to listen to uh, rap these days because I can't stand mumble rap in the same way that I love metal, but I can't stand Cookie Monster metal. Like, they're, like I don't like that. I, I, <laughs> I find that a lot of rap these days, I know I sound 40 because I am. But a lot of rap these days is and I'm huh, then I'm on a huh, oh, then I stay on a button, what are you talking about? What is happening here? So yeah, really enjoying the uh, sort of the, the clean reggae and and uh, and stuff like that. Right I'm now. with you, and I think there is really good modern hip hop and rap out there. Yeah, um, it's just it, it may not be the most prevalent in the genre out there. I, I, I sent you guys some one of our local stars, Kairos. Yeah, local that was rapper. so so sick i was actually blown away by how good it was he's uh i remember him in 111 he's like i'm gonna be an accountant and a rapper and i was like <laughs> okay i was gonna be an accountant and on broadway um but you know what we, we all have our dreams uh and he's done a great job um yeah no i'm finding a lot of my favorites um hip-hop these days is uh actually coming out of the lower mainland uh there are a ton of really good uh punjabi artists so like sidhu muswala and uh, Diljit Osange and uh, some some of the the rappers like that coming out of out of sort of the lower mainland area um, don't know what they're saying obviously I, mean, I don't speak uh, Punjabi um, outside of a like a little bit like aja aja and you know like when someone asks you how you're doing you say tika and things like that but you know not a ton but uh, I just I don't know the beats are great and it's really clean I, I feel like they do a, a great job yeah. nice cool that was a good little music aside for you uh, there you are. If you're still listening, let us know what you like for music. I, I always try and ask my my students. They're always like, I like everything. I feel like we're in this like drinking from a fire hose generation where it's like, what's your favorite show? I like everything. What's your favorite movie? Oh, I don't know. Ever, there's too much to think. So yeah, let us know. <laughs> Gotta be out there. And, okay. So finally, we come to uh, the last part of chapter five. So we were just so happy just doing revenues minus expenses equals profit. There was no formatting. It was so easy. And now we've got to classify an income statement. Why? It's getting hard, guys. Come on. I think, I think uh, no, like I said, I haven't started chapter five in class yet. But if, uh, if we find we're struggling with uh, incorporating these couple new items into the income statement, I'm going to pull up a set of public company financial statements and show them those income statements. <laughs> I know they're way simpler though. 
Like, look at Apple's. It's it's like this big. Oh, sure. I mean, and Apple. 160 page of notes. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah their income statement is super simple, for sure. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, some companies, I mean. I know. It's it's crazy. So. Uh, it's, it's like when we're talking about the project and having challenges with a one-page GL. <laughs> and just being like, like you know, the, the cash GL alone was 30 pages for most small businesses. So, yeah. Anyhow. No, they, um, yeah. So I guess if I'm gonna if I'm gonna chastise people, I should probably take the question as well. <laughs> and and like I said, we go back to having useful information. So the reason we start to break this down more, where we come up with that calculation of gross profit, is because it's the it's nice to know what is the amount that we're making just from selling our goods, and sort of tells us what's left over to pay all the other stuff and the other expenses that we have coming up. And then the other new thing that we've, we're building in this chapter is we have that other revenue, other expenses type category. Yeah. And uh, again, that's another one where it's like, you know, I want to know, I want to know that I've earned that money or that I have those expenses, but they're not really associated with my core business. So I don't want to include them with my quote unquote operating expenses. Yeah. I want to know they're there, but you know, I need to put them separately because they're, they're not part of my main operation. So if I have some rental revenue, I don't want to put that into my sales because I, I might not necessarily want to rely on that rental revenue going forward. Unless you're something like a REIT. Unless it's yeah. like you're a company that, that you know, lends money, then interest income would actually be in the, in the main sure. section. But if you're not. Yeah. And if you look yeah. at a bank's financial statements, that, that because that's their business, interest mm-hmm. income is one of the top line revenue items. Yeah. And they, they have their cost of sales, cost of interest revenue is their interest expense. So mm-hmm. yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day. So uh, I'll just stop there. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I like it. That's great. So when we're trying to figure out what goes underneath that main section of expenses and the other revenues and expenses, what we need to do is we need to think about things. Uh, the, the main question is, is this a revenue that came about during the regular operations of this business? Um, or is it something that's sort of a, a, to the side of that? And same with expenses. Is, is that fair to say? The non-operating yeah. items, things that don't happen during the normal operations of the business. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the right way to describe it. It's, it's all of those things that are just separate from our normal operations. Um, and like when I think too of this detailed income statement and why do we do it, it's, it's kind of the same reason that we do the, the classified balance sheet, right? Is we're, we're still presenting the same information. We're just adding more subtotals and classifications to make it more user-friendly for someone to actually be able to look at and, and understand what's going on in the business. So if we just um, had a top line number, which was you know sales and revenue, everything that came in, and then another another number expenses, and we added all those up together. You're saying no matter how we classify these things, that net profit, that bottom line with the double underlines underneath it at the bottom, that's not going to change. That's not going to change. So we're not right? actually changing that. We're just giving ourselves more access to information to compare to last year or competitors or maybe some of the benchmarks that we've set for ourselves, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to say it. Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, it sounds like a fun chapter. I can't wait to, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be teaching it in a couple minutes, but uh, I can't wait to figure it out, right? I should probably crack, get the plastic off this textbook, okay? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. My, my favorite thing is uh, we're, we'll do an example in class, and this is for any class, um, and I'll get students in the Zoom chat that are posting their answer, and they're like, is it this? And I'm like, Honestly, I don't know. I'm doing it on the fly with I got to work through it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I think you're right because I, you know, I practiced it once before at least. 
I think you're right. It looks close, but I can't tell you for sure until we actually do it. Yeah. Uh, what, what I often say in those situations is, did anyone else get that? And then if someone else did, I'll say, well, you're at least wrong together then if you're wrong. So <laughs> better that you're, and, and if enough people get the same answer, uh, then we'll, we'll start diving in to find out if the textbook itself is wrong, which I haven't found any for this text. Um, I have a text in one of my other classes that has a ton of errors in it. So it's always fun for us to find them as a team. I would, it's like a, I like would a hope with a text like this for, for intro accounting that there's not any like egregious errors. No, I, I, I can disagree with some of the way they like present things in there, but sure, sure. as far as pure errors, I, I'd hope not. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I agree with that. I haven't found any errors in this textbook yet, but I do have another course um, where there are um, errors in the textbook and, it, yeah, it, you come across them and you're like, is is that actually an error or am I looking at this wrong? <laughs> you really start to second guess yourself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's uh, that that's that is absolutely fair to say. Am I, am I, are we all doing this wrong? Have I been teaching this wrong? Nope, no, the textbook's actually wrong there. So there you go. Even the uh, textbook writers and then editors and then people that do testing throughout its uh, make errors and. You know what? We see this in every facet of life, right? It used to be that when you ship software, there wasn't an internet. It had to be perfect or firmware or software updates would have to go out on a disk, um, right? It wasn't just like, ah, ship it and it'll be fine. We'll just make corrections as we go. So, you know, lots of lots of things have errors in them. So don't feel too bad if your initial work has errors. That's kind of the point. Cool. Well, I th what a fun pod that was. I, uh, I had a great time with that. Uh, sorry if our um, banter at the beginning uh, killed a ton of time for you. Uh, if that was the case, I hope you just skipped right to the uh, to the good stuff. And if you think that part was the good stuff, hey, we're happy to have entertained you. Um, yeah, hope you had a, a great time listening. We had a great time recording it. And we'll see you all in our classes. Take care now. Bye, everyone. See you guys. <laughs>